Hello. I want to welcome you to Renton Christian Center's Recorded Ministries. We hope you'll be encouraged listening to God's teachings. Our services are held Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We share an awesome worship experience here at Renton Christian Center. Be sure to visit our website at rccfoursquare.org. Here's our message. As I mentioned, Jason Miles and his wife Cinnamon have been part of our church for, I don't know, at least a couple years, part of a home group for much longer than that. And uh, Jason's going to be sharing with us this morning, and uh, I'll let him tell you his story, but I'll tell you a little bit about him. I love them. You know why I love them? Because ever since the day they set foot at RCC, they started teaching the children. They've been in Sunday school off and on for as long as they've been here. They love kids. You know why else I can tell? It's because I love their kids. Jordan, McKenna, and Liberty, they're amazing. You guys are awesome Thank parents. And so I think, uh, above all, he's got degrees, and he's done stuff in ministry, and he's been around the world, and he's, he's a really cool guy. But above all, he's got a great family, and I really admire that and appreciate that. So would you welcome Jason Miles? Thank you. Wow. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. How are we? We good? All right. Well, thank you. First of all, thanks for the opportunity. This is really an honor. It's a, it's a privilege to be able to share. It's a privilege to talk about sort of our journey and a journey that you all have been a part of, but I'm not sure you know you've been a part of as much as you've been a part of, if that makes any sense at all. And so this morning, I just want to kind of tell you about your own participation and what's gone on in a, a, a ministry. Does that sound all right? And then as Alex mentioned, an opportunity for you to come and be involved on Wednesday night. Well, as background, I worked at World Vision for 16 years. The first day, or I think it was the second day, I walked in, I met Dana. And uh, so it's been an honor to be a part of, you know, him and Grace's life for a long time now. Cinnamon actually babysat Jared and Alyssa when they were like six and seven, way back in the day. Well, as part of my job, I was there for 16 years, I had the opportunity to go to a lot of places around the world, from hospitals in the Ukraine to uh, the slums of Mexico City to the backwoods of Honduras, done a lot of projects, Eastern Europe, uh, Romania, those kinds of places. Never, ever been to a place like I was at in March 2009 uh, in uh, Lusaka, Zambia. Tanzania is close, but Zambia. Yeah, yeah. Zambia. And uh, so Dana and I and uh, Toby and Janeri were all on the trip together with other folks. And it was a random fluke situation. We had a day in our schedule that fell apart. And our program coordinator said, well, there's a local ministry. It's not a World Vision ministry, but it's in a really, really rough urban slum. And we were going to go give them some blankets today. And you guys could go with us and see that if you want. And um, so he said, sure, of course, right? And, but then she said, but I'll warn you, Nombe, how you pronounce it, is like no other place you've ever seen before. And so we were like, okay, what does that mean? And we learned what that meant. It's the worst urban slum, the most desperate place in the capital city of Lusaka. And it's about 130 people or so. Let's see if we can do this. Yeah. 
So this was the school we went to. At the time, it had 475 kids. That is a partially completed church. The school is a community school, which means it's just the moms that are the teachers. It's not a government-funded school. It's not a private school. It's just the moms feeling like they needed to do something. And they had started in 2003, and this church was under construction for a long time. And they had the opportunity to um, teach the children there. They started with 99 kids. At the time we visited them in 2009, they had 475 kids. And uh, no NGOs, no, no large charities operate in Nombe Compound, interestingly. World Vision doesn't operate in Nombe Compound because it's too hard. The kids die too fast. They're too transient. It's too challenging a place to minister. And I know that might be shocking, but we know this stuff because we've lived it for a long time. Um, it's home to about 130,000 people, half are under the age 15. It's the highest concentration of HIV AIDS in uh, the country of Zambia. The way it works is the you know, the way the statistics works is in Zambia, there's 13% they say that's HIV positive. But then when you go to from 15 to 49 age bracket, it's a higher percentage. Then when you go in the capital city, it's a higher percentage. By the time you get to a place like Nombe, um, half the children are HIV positive. That's the way the concentration of the statistics work. So you go to a place and it's just devastatingly hard. And... Two-thirds of the kids are full orphans, meaning they've lost both parents. Two-thirds. And we were like, well, where do they live? You know, I mean, and Dana and I, I think, are pretty familiar with real rural poverty, the kind of poverty you see on the backside of the backside of nowhere. But in Nombe Compound, it's very, very densely populated concentration of people. Well, we were blown away by and overwhelmed by what we saw. They had people who had been trained by World Vision Caregiver Program. They had gone and then they came back and then they served the, through that school. Um, they served the community. So in that way, World Vision helps them. And don't get me wrong, World Vision loves Esther, the director, and the Needs Care School. It's called Needs Care, which is a funny name. Uh, Needs Care. And it's perfect, actually. Yeah, Dana said. And... Um, so we were blown away. Those are the caregivers. That man actually uh, that has his back to us has passed away since then. We met his daughter uh, just a few months ago, and she was telling us the whole update about his family. Um, most of the caregivers are HIV positive, too, caring for people who are uh, chronically ill, I mean, in, in the last stages of AIDS. Um, and there were hundreds of children who wanted to come to the school but couldn't come. There wasn't space. So they had these giant guards at the door with switches. It's horrible. But they would literally keep the kids from coming in because the kids just wanted to bum rush the school and go to school because they were excited to be able to participate if they could, but they, would, they just couldn't do it. And so we were, we were blown away by it all. And um, the, to say that Something inside me snapped, I guess, is the only way to say it that day. I've been places that are, to some degree, hard, but this place was just unique, and I, I don't know how to say it other than to say I fell in love with the people and the place 
and the problems that they had there. I, I just don't know how else to say it. Um, when I saw the kids who couldn't get into the school, I had to go out and take their pictures and just see what they, you know, what they were doing outside, and they were just being kids. It's chaos, you know? Um, waterborne illnesses are incredibly common. Berhazia is a disease that affects your kidneys. It's because of uh, bad water, and it's, it's rampant in Nombe compound. And obviously, HIV, AIDS, TB, malaria, all, you know, all the communicable diseases. But the kids were just amazing. And uh, the school serves from grade one to seven. And in the British system, that's called primary school. And then they have from eight to high school, to the end of what we call high school is called secondary school. So primary, secondary. So right now, today, only 25% of the kids at that school even go past seventh grade. That was all they kind of, that's all they get. Um, but their spirits were vibrant, their joy was real, their desire to learn was admirable. And we came home. And um, there's, oh, there's one of Dana. All right. And uh, we came home, though. And I just, I came home and said to Cinnamon, I just, I, we have to do something to help this lady. She had no Western funding at all. So we started just sending, we, we said, what could we do? And it was like, financially, it was like nothing, but we were like, we got to do something. So we uh, said, well, 100 bucks a month. So I tried to figure out how to get her 100 bucks a month. So the bank fees were 50 bucks a month to wire the 100 bucks, so I only could get her 50 bucks in total. And we did that for about six months, and then we figured out a more elegant solution through a ministry in California that basically paid for the banking wire fee. And so, in essence, she was getting 100 bucks a month from us. But um, we were like, and sorry, I'll go back for one little bit. The thing that stopped me in my tracks <clears throat> was after we had seen the children, after we had, I had gone outside, the Dana and you know, everybody was playing with the kids, and I, we were, I was taking pictures, and then the tour moved on, and the tour moved to the moms. And the moms had a presentation for us. Because the moms were passionate about trying to make money for the school. And so that was their mission. That was what they were trying to do. So their deal was they made jewelry. And it was costume jewelry. I mean, just be plastic beads. And, and they were trying to sell it, of course, in the worst urban slum in a very, very poor country. And, you know, I mean, it's like, what are the chances of that selling? But we bought the whole, we bought everything on the wall. And I would never forget, like, when we just said, we'll buy it all, they just started, they erupted in shouts and hollers and amens, and they were just ecstatic. And that, the tone and emotion of that moment where they just had their big breakthrough was this, like, that was the piece that caught me, where it was like, I, those moms are passionate about something, they, they want to work. And so when we started giving our 100 bucks a month, I just would say to Esther, how can we help the moms do more of what they want to do? Well, it took us about six months or so, and, and uh, stuff started to come together. One, I think one last little comment. Sorry, I'm not too good at my slides. We've heard since then that even long-term missionaries don't go into Nome Bay Compound. 
We've had long-term missionaries been in Zambia for 25, 30 years say to us, I mean, I'll never forget it. The one, the couple, one couple said, we don't, we've never gone into Nombe. And then the wife hit the husband and said, yes, we have. Remember when we got turned around in there and we couldn't get the car out and we were freaked out? And they'd been there for 30 years, but not in that place. Just, it's just too hard. Dirt roads, massively concentrated, and they're on their own. So over the course of those next six months, I just kept going back to how can we help? Like, I wanted to adopt 475 kids. You know, I was like, Cinnamon, can we do that? Um, It's like, well, what would he do? How do you get 475 kids out of the disaster that they were in, that they did not deserve to be in? And I just kept coming back to, you know, what do we do? How, How do you maintain the rights of the afflicted? And how do you deliver justice in a practical, tangible way? And I I really, I had been a major gift fundraiser for World Vision, and I had come to the conclusion that if we boil down God's commands in our life to serve the poor to financial giving, we're screwing it up. Because we've made it a financial transaction when God wants it to be so much more than that, for them and for us. He wants it to be different than just writing a check to a charity and going on. And so what does that look like? And we didn't know. I mean, we we really didn't know. Um, But we just kept coming back to helping Esther and those moms figure out something. And, you know, this scripture from James is just so familiar to us, right? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their time of distress. But again, it's like, what does that look like? Is it just cash, right? And so that was, our, that was what we just stewed on. We just stewed on it for a long time. Well, we were trying to figure it out. How can we help the moms generate income to help the school? And my wife, if you don't know this, has an amazing talent. And that is, she can make doll clothes at like a world-class level. And in 2008, we had started this, and it was a little side business, really. It was her, it was her business. I would help evenings and weekends as I could, and we would sell on eBay. And so it was just a little tiny you know, side income in 2008. 2009, it was the same, just a little tiny side income. Um, and then but we got this idea. Well... A couple things happened. I felt like the Lord led me to a different job, and I left World Vision. And long story short, yada, yada, after two weeks at the new job, they announced a set of layoffs. Yeah, and it was uh, last in, first out, and I was literally like the last one they hired, so I was gone. And so then I, God opened a door for me to work at Northwest University up in Kirkland, and I, I spent four years there from 2010 to 2014. And it was an honor to be there. But the whole time, my heart was with those kids. Not that I don't like 19-year-old, you know, American kids going through college. I love those kids. Um but my heart was with these guys. And, and then I was like, well, what do we do, right? So we started just selling cinnamon stuff at auction 
And we would say we're giving the money to this, these ladies so they can start to figure out how to, you know, um, do things. And they proposed to us a sewing cooperative that they would start learning to sew. And, and that was our idea. So our auctions, I think, are, were anointed. I think they're still anointed. I think they're anointed because that's what we wanted to do, was to give the money to the poor. So that's one of Cinnamon's outfits. You can't really see it, but it, that one sold just not the doll, but just the, the clothing for $500.77. So people, I, I mean, people like, Cinnamon's really, really good at it. But I think the message of we're trying to help these ladies in Zambia just caught people's attention, you know? So, and then that, it just grew. From 2010 to 2014, our, our little e-commerce company went on a tear, and God blessed it. And uh, in January 2014, I was able to retire from Northwest and go full-time with the family biz. Doll clothes. Who knew? <laughs> I didn't mind. <laughs> so we run an e-commerce company called Pixie Fair. It's a marketplace for dog clothes, cut fabric, dolls, stuff like that. Um, so we started, we started funding these ladies' requests, the mom's request, to do this sewing cooperative. And at first they, would say, they said, could you take what we sell, sew and sell it to people in the United States because they have all the money. And I was like, you know, that's just never going to work. It just won't work. So I, I just, we really worked through the process to say, how could you find a local need in Nombe Compound to, you know, to serve with your sewing? Is that possible? And we went back and forth over the months. And, you know, we, our goal was to get them trained up and get them teachers. We, we hired people that were, were good um, machines started to be donated. World Vision got six awesome machines that were donated. And the mom started to really, it's, it came together. Um, that's a knitting machine for sweaters, if you're not familiar. Um, so we started to just invest in it. And the idea was we wanted to figure out a way for them to make money, but also do something that was beneficial to the school, right? So not a charity handout. But we were happy to fund the machines and the, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it just provided, I mean, you look at the smiles on their faces, um, a dignity to it all, their opportunity to serve their kids and their, their community, a safe place for them to work. Most of them are illiterate, but the sewing, the beauty of sewing is they could just learn uh, how to do projects, and that it was fine. They didn't need to, to know, but then they started going, they would start going to adult literacy classes um, at night skills training, and on and on. And we, we finally settled on our first project for them to do. And it was a stroke of genius on their, their part. It was very simple. It was school uniforms. And all the kids needed school uniforms, right? So, um, so that was fantastic. And the ladies would sew them. And then they created a little micropayments program so that the guardians or parents, aunts and uncles, could pay 14 bucks is what it costs to pay for a uniform. And it was important that the parents or guardians paid that money. We didn't want to give it. We wanted them to, you know, to feel like that was their part. And they immediately wanted to. It was, they were in. The parents and guardians, I mean, there was, you know, and a lot of them have five, six, eight, ten kids. 
you, know, you, you meet grandmas that are managing a dozen kids, you know, but they were committed to this idea. And then, um, and you can see, and, and it totally transformed the school. Um, there's Cinnamon with the, ki- the girls. Um, yeah. I mean, you can't beat that, right? Those, that knitting machine, they make those sweaters on that machine. It goes back and forth like this, and if you, if you know this stuff, you set it all up, it's the yarn, and it produces. I mean, it's phenomenal. So I always say when Cinnamon and I, we show this stuff, we talk to people, everybody always likes, oh, the kids are so cute. And Cinnamon and I are usually like, that sweater is so awesome. <laughs> Because it is awesome, and we know the backstory on that shirt and that sweater. And uh, so there are the kids. Now, an amazing thing happened. You, I, I mentioned that I had found a way th- through the California charity to give 100 bucks a month, and it had started to grow. Well, the guy who I was working with, Greg, he heard about Esther, the director, and, and he wanted to start funding her, too. He took a donor there, and she wrote a check for a couple hundred thousand dollars to completely build that school across the street. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It's, a, it's across the street from the church. In fact, you see that big tree in the background? The church is literally right on the other side of that tree, right across the street. And all the kids are there in their happy uniforms, right? And uh, so that was 2013. And, but 2014 came around. Cinnamon and I had an opportunity to go back and see it. And we started to really feel like the, the, the moms have that uniform program locked down. I mean, it's working right? And Cinnamon and I were super excited about this program, but to be really honest, no one else really cared. I mean, we would talk to people about like, hey, we're doing this awesome thing. And you know, you know, when you're trying to talk about something and people just change the topic and you realize they didn't even listen to what you were kind of like that for a couple years. But we really came back from that trip. And, and even right before it, we, we started to say, we got to figure out a way to to do more? How can we do more to help? There's so much need. And how can we include others in the mission? So what we did was we went back to Dana and Toby and Janeri, and we included PK, because we knew he got the gist of it, even if he hadn't been there, and said, hey, you guys, we, we got to figure out a way to, this is working. You know, I mean, there's something working here. We got to scale it up. Could you help us? And so in 2014, we started dreaming together. How could we make this work. And so then we, we really started the ideas kind of brainstorming like, okay, the school uniform thing was meaningful because the children needed the uniform and it helped enable their educational achievement. And the moms were paid to make the uniforms. So the only charitable part of it was just equipping and training the moms. And then it was just this really, really nice program model. So we were like, well, what other needs are there in the community? We don't know. So we started brainstorming, and, and, um, and I think it was Dana who said, you know, I heard, this, I heard about this program that does reusable feminine hygiene pads. And, because, and, and he said, well, may, maybe that's an issue there. Maybe, maybe the girls need that product. And what we found out was girls miss on average six weeks of school because they have no access to supplies and they just stay home. And so we learned that statistics, those are documented. So then we asked Esther, is that true? And she said, yeah. Um, at Needs Care, she has the seventh grade exam stats. She, she does this government test. 
And it's called the seventh grade exam. And girls fail to pass it at more than a 10% gap. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense because I got one son and two girls. And Jordan's smart. <laughs> but those girls, those seventh grade girls are usually pretty smart compared to those seventh grade boys. <laughs> I'm just saying. You know it's true, guys. Girls are, they got, they, they study. They just focus on school stuff more sometimes. Sometimes. But these girls were failing at a very big gap, and they're done. I mean, they're done. So we said to Esther, well, is that, is that the case? She said, yeah. Well, what does that, ha- what does that mean? So if girls attended secondary school, that's from like 8th to 12th grade, pregnancies under 17 would drop by 60%. What we found was that the United Nations has documented all this stuff. There's stats. There's, you know, anthropologists and people who've studied this stuff. They know what happens to girls if they only go through 7th grade. They've tested, you know, thousands and thousands of communities, and they've learned statistically what will happen right? So teen girls who drop out before completing secondary school are four times more likely to contract HIV. Educated girls or women have an, on average 3.9 children, statistically, compared to 5.3 for those who drop out before completing secondary school. So more kids, more HIV, more teenage pregnancies. Girls that attend secondary school have 70% fewer teenage marriages than those who drop out. And currently, as already mentioned, only about 25% of the needs care students go on to secondary school. So you can see just statistically, I mean, they're just set to run into all of this, like a train wreck. Come on there. Yeah, go. Those stats are stats of desperation. Yeah. Stats of no options. Yeah. No hope. So we as Americans sit and look at that and go, why do they make those choices? Yeah. They have no choice. And it's really important for us to not sit here in Renton and yeah. read those stats and put our Western judgment on it, right. those are statistics of poverty, desperation, and a complete lack of hope. In, in Nombe, you got 75,000 kids under 15, and most of them are done with education. What are they going to do? They're going to get married to each other or some old guy who's already mar- been married five times. I mean, you just get tons of horrible situations. Well, we started brainstorming and said, well, the seamstresses could make the reusable feminine hygiene product. Disposables are a horrible idea. There's no garbage system at all. They don't, they, it just wouldn't, it doesn't make any sense in that context. So reusable product was the way to go. And Cinnamon, so when we were like, well, how can we get people involved? And Cinnamon said, you know, I have a purse I made, I designed a long time ago. I've never published the pattern for. We asked ladies around the world if they'd be interested in making a purse and sending it to us. We didn't know if they would, but 503 purses were sent to us in 2014. And at our home group, we asked Toby and Janary and Ron and Jim and Elaine to help us unbox them all. The way the program works is the purses are made by ladies around the world and they send them to us. World Vision ships them to Zambia in their container system. <clears throat> and the seamstresses in Lusaka make the reusable feminine hygiene pad product. And it goes in the purse. And then the teachers do health training class 
for the girls and give them a gift of a purse and uh, reusable feminine hygiene pads. And the girls take a pledge to go to school all month if they receive the purse. And we didn't know if it would work at all. We had no idea. But it started to come together. And it was an amazing, amazing way to have people participate. Right after we did the first 2014 project, people immediately said, can I send in more? Can I keep doing this? Because it was a way for seamstresses all around the world to care for a girl in a way that was not just financial giving. It wasn't just, here's a check to a charity. I hope they do something good. It was a project that they could put their hands on and work towards helping the specific educational outcome of the girl who would receive the purse. So last year, we didn't know what would happen. We put it out again. We asked our customers, who were all doll clothes people, to do it again. And purses started coming in. In 2014, we had just had them go to our P.O. box in Bonnie Lake. And after a few weeks, the post office ladies got really mad at me. <laughs> they were really uncool. They went postal on me. And um, so, so we asked PK, PK, stepped up and said, you know, you could just have him come to the church. And Cal, I just put, you know, Callie, you'll have Callie's name on it. So all these people around the world started sending us purses addressed to Callie here. And I know that you guys, like, didn't even know what in the world this was. But last year, um, a year ago, we had an unboxing party at our store in Auburn. That's what we're calling them, unboxing party. And we take all the purses out of the packages, and we get them ready to go to World Vision for their container system. Last year, we had 1,619 purses sent in. Yeah, that's awesome, right? Yeah, praise God. <clears throat> Last year also marked the time where we started to feel like people outside our own circle, wanted to know more. I'll never forget, we got an email from a lady who said, Hi, I'm Kylie, and I'm an Australian seamstress and blogger, and I pulled together a Facebook group, and we have several hundred people all sewing for So Powerful. I thought I should introduce myself and invite you to the group. <laughs> so I was like, wow. I mean, this was like, it was getting crazy. Then we saw one group in Brighton, England, they, I think it was Brighton, it was maybe another group in England, had an event, and the, spe the guest speaker was from So Powerful, and we had no idea who it was. Cinnamon and I was like, what is this? It was like, they're all just, they just got it. These seamstresses were just psyched. And so it was just an amazing opportunity. PK and Callie said the Renton post office lady was really going postal for a while, too, <laughs> until they stopped and explained the program and told her what it was, why, why it was so important. 
And um, she came to the unboxing party last year and has been a huge advocate, a huge advocate for it. And so you can see all the boxes. Um, and so in Africa, in Lusaka, the seamstresses learned to do the reusable feminine hygiene pads. And we went and did distributions, and it was just life-changing. We were just there a few months ago, and we sat down and heard the stories of a bunch of girls who would just come in and share. And story after story, it was heartbreaking, devastating, horrible family life circumstance. But then we say, have you attended school, you know, all month long, every month? Yes, absolutely. All of them are all in school all year long because of this one simple purposeful product. <clears throat> and you can see they get their bright, amazing purses. Well, as you can tell, I've done a little display here, right? <laughs> and this is just a sampling of some of the purses that have come in. And you guys have been monitoring, but it's been a pretty well uh, avalanche of purses um, this year. They're all sitting in our store. Our goal this year is 3,000. We literally have no idea how many we have. Um, the program in Lusaka is, has helped these girls at Needs Care. And now World Vision, Zambia, wants to replicate this model. And, and literally, we work with 120,000 children in other communities. So World Vision's ready to rock and roll as big as we can scale this. Um, we will have to have a lot more seamstresses. Right now we have 10. In the, in the cooperative in Lusaka, and we think that could double, triple, quadruple, 10x. And they could all be, and they make money as they make the product, right? And it's been amazing. One of the biggest challenges, and I'll end with this, this piece, but one of the biggest challenges that Esther, the director, would always say to us was, and every year we've gone, now we've gone in 2014, 15, and 16, Cinema and I and led groups. She's always said the biggest challenge is the kids are starving. They don't have food at home. They, there is no food in the homes if you go look, and we have. Um, and that all she can do is one little scoop of like cream of wheat, basically. And that's, it's lumpy sometimes. And the, when I look at this picture, I look at the expression on the boys' faces. They know what they're getting. I mean, come on. There's McDonald's in Lusaka. It's not as if that's okay. You know? And I just think to myself, if this was my kid, it's not okay. So, but it's like, how do you feed? Because when they open the big school, they've got 1,400 kids now. They, they open the doors to the big school. And so you can't feed 1,400 kids, even 50 cents a day. That's a lot of money. Well, last year when we came back, we went to a meeting at World Vision and told people about the reusable hygiene pads and the program. And a guy came up to me afterwards and said, hey, uh, there's a 10-acre farmland that I have right in Lusaka. I'm not using it. If you want it for the, for the school. And I was like, what are you talking about? Who are you, David Durr? And he was like, well, we bought this land eight years ago, and we've never used it. And 
I was like, yeah, of course. So oh, last year we launched a farm project and we call it the Three Esters Farm. Esther McCandewire is our program director. And um, David, the, the guy who owns the land, his daughter's name Esther. And, and it really just felt like God had created an opportunity for us to actually accomplish feeding these kids. And so the farm is up and running. It's got a well, a caretaker's house. I don't have time to tell you all the stories of how God has just totally anointed it and made it an amazing place where we honestly believe we can have a, a real shot at feeding 1,400 kids a nice lunch every day. And so it's called the Three Esters Farm. And last Wednesday night or two Wednesday nights ago, um, PK and Dana kicked off what we're calling the Three Meals Matter program. It's uh, an opportunity to raise money for the farm to feed these kids. And so the youth group's leading the way. And, uh, you know, it's just been amazing because RCC's been a part of the journey the whole time. From the first day we were there, the whole time, to creating the ideas and to doing the unboxing party at our home group two years ago and then last year at our store. God's described as a father to orphans and a defender of widows. And I just have to believe that that's an attribute of God's character. That he wants us to really understand in a tangible, practical way. It doesn't say he's the financier that funds the orphan programs. I mean, he is. But that's not our role either, necessarily. What if we could actually do stuff physically with our own hands, our own skills? You know what I've heard from hundreds and hundreds of ladies now? They say about the purse program, my passion is sewing, and this gives me an opportunity to use my passion for the Lord. And that combination, I think, is really, really so powerful. And so I just want to encourage you, as Alex already mentioned, and as I've mentioned, we have hundreds of boxes. And this Wednesday night, we're going to unbox them all and get them ready to go. And if you would like to come and help us, you're more than welcome. The address is in the bulletin, 218 East Main Street in Auburn. You can't make it. We're going to live stream broadcast the whole thing. And it'll be, yeah, we did it last year, and people from around the world tuned in, and they were, like, going nuts over it. They'd take screenshots on their computer of when their box was, and Toby, by the way, is even here. Toby is basically the Jerry Lewis <laughs> of our unboxing party, and it, it, this year is going to be like a Jerry Lewis telethon a little bit. And uh, so it's going to be really, really fun, the live stream itself. So sopowerful.org is our website. And if so, if you can't make it Wednesday night in person, jump on. There's a registration page for the live stream, and then you'll get the link, and you just watch it. And I want to just, you know, kind of end by thanking Alex and Pam. I mean, I, we do love the kids of uh, RCC, and my daughters are in the nursery right now. And we're usually out with the preschoolers. And uh, it's an honor. I mean, it's an honor to serve your kids. And it's an honor to be a part of a church and a community 
that is trying to do a great job serving kids. And it is, I mean, you, and we are, right? I mean, this church does that. And so I just encourage you, Wednesday night, if you want to come. And most importantly, I just want to thank, you know, Alex, you again for the opportunity to speak. And thanks to the youth group for the Three Mills Matter launch. Um, we're excited to see what God's going to do this Wednesday night. And we'll keep you posted. And it's only going to get better. And next year, I mean, we might have a lot more boxes to un- unpack. So you guys might get tired of us asking-ish for help, um, but we need it. We really do. We, we need your help. And uh, together we can do something really, really special. There you go. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand? Let's close in prayer. Father, I just want to say thank you for uh, just giving us a demonstration of, of what your grace can do in a single family if we simply give our hearts to you and allow your compassion to drive us. So thank you, Lord, for the example of Jason and Cinnamon and their kids. And, and thank you, Lord God, for your grace. You're the one that has caused the multiplication. You're the one that's causing this to bear fruit in the lives of girls we may never meet until we get to heaven. But we thank you that you are at work. Now, Father, for each of us, not all of us here are entrepreneurs. Not all of us can sow like the wind. But we do have a passion and a skill in something. Lord, give us the courage to step out and give that passion to you for your purposes, to reach our community and our world for Christ. Lord, help us to not count it as too small or too insignificant, but to place high value on what you've put inside us. And then give us the courage to give it back to you and see what happens. In Jesus' mighty name, the church said, amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. Hope to see you Wednesday night, too. Listening to God's teachings is always so exciting. We hope you have enjoyed this recording and that it has blessed you. Remember to share these messages with others you know and love. Until next time, may God bless and keep you. Here again is Pastor Kevin. Do you ever have thoughts about your purpose in life? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe you walked away and it's time to come home. You know, really our walk with God is about a personal relationship with Him. That's what He wants. I believe that's what we want. I encourage you to take a few moments and allow this message to sink in. Allow His Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to Him, that He will draw close to us. So do that today. God bless.